Hi, thanks for tuning in. My name is Alexa and I'm here with my colleague Simon from the X-Lab at the University of Art and Design Burg Giebichenstein in Halle, Germany. In this podcast, we discuss new developments in the fields of creative artificial intelligence, human-machine co-creation and artistic research together with international guests. So today we're here with Lenka Hamosova from Prague in Czech Republic joining us. Hello, Lenka. Yes, hello. It's so nice to be here. Cool. So maybe we start by a little introduction. Maybe you can introduce yourself. Oh, right. So <laughs> I'm, um, uh, I have a background in design. So I, I used to be uh, calling myself designer all these years. Uh, now it starts to be a bit problematic to frame myself, uh, whether I'm still uh, a designer or rather visual artist or researcher. So let's say I'm all of all of these. And um, my, so my background uh, is in design and especially in graphic design and visual communication. But over those years, I, I moved more into uh, like a speculative and critical design projects that were not really focusing on the um, design product, but more about questioning uh, and problematizing some uh, areas of our life and uh, the way we are looking at the world. And so I was, I think, in this time when I uh, saw first Deepfake and uh, it was like a life-changing moment for me <laughs> because, you know, until that moment I was trying to uh, advocate for transparent visual communication and that was my topic so I was like always very angry uh, where there was something unclear when there were some visual misinterpretations and uh, the visual communication was just uh, misleading things like uh, architecture visualizations for example mm -hmm. very <laughs> like presenting fiction as reality mm -hmm. and these things and then you see deep fakes and I, I just realized okay this is pointless <laughs> like striving for a, a visual transparency just uh, ended at that moment <laughs> for me <laughs> do you remember what the first deep fake was that you saw yeah yeah it for me it was uh, the obama uh, deep fake that um, was dubbed by uh, what, what's his name jordan peel yeah from key and peel the comedians yeah yeah wow okay Yeah, that was the first one for me. But mm. then soon after, I, I saw the Nicolas Cage and mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. all, all the rest. Mm. But yeah, that was the moment when I, I just uh, got deep into uh, the whole uh, synthetic media topic. And uh, that, that led me to uh, study uh, synthetic media during my, as, as my PhD. Um, well, it's hard to hard to call it a, a studying. <laughs> it's actually researching. There's no way you can like go and study this. It's not a uh, study program yet. Maybe one day mm -hmm. it will be. So it seems like a love hate relationship with this whole idea of synthetic media because I know that you're also artistically working with this medium, and I guess this is also because you see some kind of potential in it. And so yes. yeah. Yes, actually, it's true that there is a little bit of love-hate relationship. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, I, on one hand, I see like a tremendous 
creative pro- potential in using all the uh, synthetic media production tools. Um, but on the other hand, there are all the ethical consequences and so many questions unanswered yet. So, mm-hmm. so it's a uh, yeah, it's it's a bit problematic. <laughs> but in a way, it is like really, uh, it is for me as if my child dreams came true. Mm-hmm. So when I was, uh, I don't know, maybe like 10 years old, I was really dreaming about a tool that would visualize what I want, you know, just mm-hmm. by thinking mm-hmm. about it. And there was no, no such tool. So that led me to <laughs> study, like uh, become an artist. And then later on, uh, that uh, I thought actually to be a graphic designer was this was about having this uh, superpower to visualize thoughts Mm -hmm. and like uh, make them part of our visual communication. And now there is this tool (laughs) already, like doing it automatically. And so so I think that's really powerful moment. And especially that it's uh, really widely accessible uh, or I can envision it to be in the future Mm -hmm. (laughs) or it's becoming uh, widely accessible and so so basically i like the idea that um this image production can be uh democratized and everyone Mm -hmm. can uh, access it but of course on the other hand (laughs) it's like unleashing uh some serpent that we don't know uh, what powers it, it's mm. going to have or how it's going to unfold. Mm. And, and that's the whole uh, yeah, discussion that's actually yeah, now happening. Also, like what we could see last few days on Twitter about DALI, uh, mm-hmm. the newest model. So. so maybe to make this a little bit more clear for our listeners, um, yes, <laughs> we, we're talking about these new text-to-image models. I think that 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 is what we're, we're both yes. uh, we are all very very fascinated with since the last months or so. So last year, um, I think in January or so, this model Delhi came out by this company OpenAI, and it was not open sourced, but they showed example of um, what what it could produce. And the idea is that you can input a random text that could describe everything, just like Lenka said, everything that is on your mind. And this model will produce a visual or like a, the, yeah, the, the visuals for this prompt. And then later this year, or later last year, there were um, many attempts to reproduce this kind of model um, in open source, in an open source way. And there was, for example, this model VQGAN and CLIP that used um, yeah. CLIP, the model by also by OpenAI to um guide this image production um generation and every everybody that at least that was my feeling everybody started to play with it and my twitter feed was bombed by all these results and yeah suddenly this text to image thing became a thing and um I think that that is how we met as well, Lenka, um, um, through this fascination by this kind of new way of expression. And I have the feeling that there's so much research needed on it, what it could mean for Mm -hmm. like democratization of creativity, but also in terms of art history or um, more like, um, yeah, more scientific way of looking at art and creativity. Mm -hmm. 
and I hope there's a lot of coming in the future. Um, yeah. yeah. So you're also looking at it from a theory perspective, I had the feeling. Yeah. It's important to now like look at it, this text-to-image uh, generation of images uh, from a theoretical point of view. Um, I, I see uh, there are many implications for our society and uh, I'm questioning how it's going to influence our visual culture and understanding of the world, basically. Mm. <laughs> so we can get that far. And I don't know uh, how how it's going to change the understanding of reality and what is real. And, of course, uh, over the time I started also... Uh, Acknowledging that uh, reality is overestimated, <laughs> that this obsession of like always knowing what is real, but we need some common ground as a society, like to to kind of know what is truth for most of us and kind of meet somewhere, somewhere, make a compromise to be able to understand each other. And I think this is this is like a moment when these things are now completely shaking and breaking down. And I'm really curious uh, how it's going to unfold. Uh, maybe, maybe I, I should say some example because mm -hmm. I, I realize this is like uh, too abstract. Uh, but uh, if, if we we know what how things look like when we we, say, we talk about a chair, everybody kind of creates a, some mental image of a chair uh, because. Yeah, because in our culture we've seen so many chairs, and although there are different chairs in, um, there are different chairs in history, and there are different chairs now, but sort of there is like a proto chair idea. But this this could be actually shifted by the, well, I don't want to use the word imagination of AI, but uh, the uh, interpretation of neural networks and. Uh, Maybe slight, they, they will start generating slight, slightly differently looking chairs. And all of these images are circulating, whether it's uh, images we produce by uh, uh, our drawings or taking a picture or images from the history. And then I, I think in the future, of course, this AI-generated imagery will start circulating as well. And these images will be mixing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you have different, like so, different views on the same mm. visual representations, and we will probably in the future it will be hard to say what was first because mm -hmm. uh, AI-generated uh, visuals could be also looking like historic imagery, for example, mm -hmm. and it it doesn't have to be like intentional. Um, Uh, forgery or anything mm. like that it's just it might happen and probably it will happen and then we can be, we can have like a really big pool of random images de depicting uh, history future all kinds of things but it will be hard to say which are actually relatable or were related to our physical world and our real history and which are pure fiction mm. and I think this will be like a, um, 
moment where we will move from the postmodernistic understanding of uh, visual culture, uh, of the like, like the simulacra idea of uh, Baudrillard, to the next level, <laughs> when it becomes like oh, completely like detached from from everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, i'm not saying it will be necessarily bad it's going to be just different and so I, i'm expecting uh, like a huge shift in in thinking and understanding of the role and are hard to say in which way but mm. that's that's sort of like my <laughs> what i'm thinking about uh mm. these days and especially when i'm working with text to image models mm. but i feel like this mistrust in media happened years before maybe decades before when digital images were circulated and people could just mess with them be it in photoshop yeah. or whatever so exactly yeah maybe media in general cannot be trusted anymore but i was just thinking about um about blockchain mm -hmm. if, if the technique like this could be used to prove like truth so blockchain is used to prove yeah. kind of ownership or like a, the processes that, that, and yeah. the manipulations that were done with something so maybe we need some kind of technology it doesn't have to be blockchain but something that is added to mm. certain um, thing media asset mm. that is kind of a proof yeah, sure. but, or maybe we get rid of the notion of reality altogether. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would go for the second option because <laughs> I, I, I was giving like many talks the last few years about uh, deepfakes and I, well, people were always curious about the solution. Okay, so this is they were like first frightened and then they, you need to give some answers. Mm -hmm. So like what now, what should we do? And the easiest thing for us is to find a technological solution for technological mm -hmm. problem. But I, I don't think it's the best way how to approach it. Maybe we need to adapt, uh, mm -hmm. like we humans <laughs> we need to mm -hmm. change something in, in our brains rather. Uh, there was um, there were some technological solutions using uh, blockchain mm -hmm. to, uh, well, uh, uh, authenticate uh, mm -hmm. uh, audiovisual material. Mm -hmm. So, so you would have camera and you're recording uh, a video, and it would like send uh, a few, always like a few, few like a short snippets from the video, um, upload it to the cloud, and like um, write it in a blockchain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then, when you have the whole video, it's just it's you, you can show that it's uh was recorded in uh and put on on a blockchain so you you have the timestamps and everything there and the idea was that uh if somebody would cut out a part and put a new part in the video and then like upload it on youtube for example you would see um uh, there's a gap mm. there, there are some data missing somewhere in between mm. but uh, I already heard opinions that this is just not probably not going to work from mm -hmm. well many reasons <laughs> yeah I think so too it's just adding and adding technological solutions on top of a problem that isn't going to be solved like that so mm. you would probably just have a really high res screen 
simulating stuff in front of the lens of the camera and then it's again sort of hard to prove if the visualizing networks become so powerful that you wouldn't see the difference you might as well just put it through a camera and have it authenticated or something but i think uh, the notion of sort of accepting it is much more interesting or Mm. thinking about how this might change our perception of reality and our societies and so on Mm. Uh, and it's really hard to predict Um, so yeah I'm curious how maybe since I know you are doing your PhD at the moment and you are also you've done some workshops with students and so on maybe you can um, tell us a little bit or us and the viewers a little bit about those Um, and maybe how how do you deal with this uncertainty or this not being able to know how this is going to turn out and still working with it creatively and with students and researching mm. it? How does this, how do you approach yeah. this currently? Yeah, so um, like a, um, a year ago, I, I had a different format of workshops that I was uh, doing. Uh, it was called Collective Vision of Synthetic Reality. And these workshops were basically mostly about raising awareness uh, about currently accessible AI and ML models. Uh, I had my own uh, props, like uh, educational cards that I gave to people and they could like quickly learn about all the, the, the models. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like making it more uh, accessible and already by... Uh, like getting their uh, hands dirty, at least in a metaphorical way during the workshop with these models, uh, the participants were less afraid of this technology. Mm. So so I think that was like a first step. And because, uh, yeah, like a first, this un- visual uncertainty, as I call it, is, is, is very, uh, uh, can be paralyzing. And if you want to uh, have a group of people brainstorming together about future, it's very easy for them to uh, fall into very dystopian uh, mm-hmm. scenarios. So also like one thing that I was doing at the beginning of the workshops is to uh, have a small short brainstorming uh, where they would uh, leave their dystopian expectations, like write them on a post-it and uh we kind of like cleansed ourselves there mm-hmm. and then we left those dystopian expectations and moved to the next part of the workshop where we are trying to uh, envision how each of us would like to use um, these AI creative tools in their own life and mm-hmm. practice. And it doesn't mean that uh, a person then starts to be like super optimistic still there's a lot of uh, critical uh, discussions and usually all these scenarios ended uh, that we had like an outcome from these workshops where well like it had a two, two, two possible endings one positive and one negative <laughs> so uh, and, and we got to this also by trying to evaluate the scenarios at the end of, of workshops uh, by like uh, positioning them on an axis between uh, like positive and negative and uh, like large scale 
or small scale uh, impact on the world. And just, I mean, it didn't really make any sense to do that, but by doing it, you, it's, it's a good conversational uh, mm. tool. And, and everyone usually realized that uh, it's not so easy and it's not uh, actually not black and white and mm-hmm. the scenarios would usually end somewhere in the, in the middle, <laughs> in between all of those. And, and what kind of scenarios was was this about? Was it like uh, related to like creative processes, or every kind of like the future of our planet? Or it really depended on what kind of group of people I was working with. Uh, if it were, if they were artists, it was more practical. Like oh, what, what I would do it with it. So it was about like uh, adding it in their skills and mm. like doing something very specific and. But if I had like people from all kinds of different disciplines, uh, it was more about society. So, for example, I think one scenario that really stuck in my head, uh, I think was very interesting, uh, was about uh, like visualize, visualizing uh, synthetic uh, or fictional um, vacation spots. So like adding uh, this uh, AI visualization to virtual reality. And and then you can like synthesize uh, random fictional uh, tropical paradise, let's say, uh, use a VR headset and like uh, spend time in this um, mm-hmm. fictional uh, holiday. But th- th- it was actually a very critical idea because uh, when we were discussing about this scenario, it sounds like a... It's something like cool and futuristic, but actually it, it's, uh, we figured out that it would be probably for poor people mm-hmm. who cannot afford uh, traveling to tropical paradise. Mm-hmm. And so, so it's like a, it opened all kinds of uh, new uh, topics of uh, how, how being poor actually means that you don't have access to reality in the future, maybe. And, and you will have to resort to like stay in fictional synthetic reality because that's just cheaper. Mm. <laughs> wow. Can you tell us more about the like the, the concrete tools you were using in these workshops? Uh, so like I said, we were basically using just uh, the, the cards, uh, mm. so brainstorming cards. Each card was uh, each card represents uh, one. AI model, uh, and they were uh, divided in different categories. So we had the image gener- generation, then audio models, text models. Uh, then we had uh, recognition, then post-processing category where I had all kinds of like this in- image in painting uh, models and uh, image resolution, mm. upscaling, uh, depth estimation. Mm-hmm. I, I think <laughs> I think it's like 35 models mm-hmm. <laughs> in total. And so in, in uh, physical uh, workshops, uh, it's like real physical cards. Mm-hmm. That, uh, so, so it's uh, to, to make people not look into computer, but like use their hands and they, they can just like Uh, look at the cards, spread them in front of them on the table to get some overview. And then 
I wanted them to make connections, basically. So just choosing three models that they were they thought were interesting, and then uh, imagining uh, or speculating what this combination could mm. uh, achieve. Although, yeah, I have to say this was really speculative, and <laughs> some of those models would not be able to combine at this point, or would not produce such a speculation that people came up with but uh, it was more about conceptualizing these tools and mm. like learning thinking with them mm. with this technology I think that was like the the, the most like empowering moment for participants mm -hmm. and they were leaving I think less afraid <laughs> of the technology mm -hmm. although still very conscious and but let's say they they realized uh, what are the the soft spots or um, you know what what needs to be still uh, uh, improved and also they realize like the technology is not uh, that um, advanced at the moment mm -hmm, mm -hmm. as a common misinterpret misconception yeah. that I'm encountering and have you tried introducing them to the actual models letting them play with it let's say in a google collab or Another. Uh, I left uh, usually a bunch of resources at the end of the mm. workshop uh, for those who are interested to mm -hmm. uh, play with them later. But I didn't want it to be like a really practical tutorial because then you you, you can. It was uh, just two hours long workshop mm. format, so you cannot get you cannot achieve this right. in mm -hmm. two hours. And yeah, and so so that was the one the first workshop, and now I'm. Uh, preparing or working with another concept, um, a workshop that's focusing only on these text-to-image uh, models, and uh, I called it "scrying uh, through AI." Because what means scrying? <laughs> uh, scrying is um, uh, visioning, or mm. or how to call it. Well, you mm. you have a crystal ball, um. and you are looking into the crystal ball mm -hmm. and uh, using your inner sight to, tr along with this medium, that's a crystal ball or a water surface. And you are like then mm, telling to another person what you're seeing mm -hmm. with your inner sight. So, so that's the, the like the, uh, it's not divination, but the other thing. Mm. And uh, I use this metaphor to make it like more simple and approachable, um, because basically, if some you could also use text-to-image uh, models now to like show your future, like speculatively speaking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I, I developed a, a method that, which I called uh, synthetic variable collaging. Uh, that I force people in my workshop to follow. <laughs> and it's really hard because when you have uh, participants and you show them the text-to-image neural network, they just want to play with it, you know? It's like, oh, so exciting. Oh, and I, I want to use this prompt and that prompt. and But then you're not, not going anywhere. <laughs> mm -hmm. So after, like, spending some time uh, playing with it, uh, I tell them that they have to follow the method and basically it's about um, iterations, like repeating uh, translation from uh, words to image and then 
back to words and back to image. So like mm-hmm. repeating the whole process. Um, so they first uh, form uh, like a concept that they want to work with and they form the text uh, input, the text prompt, the first one, uh, let the neural network generate an image. And then they have to use the outcome as as an initial image for the next iteration. Mm-hmm. So they cannot start anew. They, they have to always okay. stay in the loop and they can collage the image. So like add things or uh, you know build the image sculpt the image but only using words so basically by changing the next text prompt and it's very frustrating for most of them <laughs> because <laughs> because you know what you want to achieve you want you know what you want to see in the image mm. but it's so hard to do it if you don't understand the the this prompt engineering mm. concept so it's also a lot about learning how to compose the the most efficient Mm. text prompt which is actually in the end very interesting for everyone and maybe they repeat this process for example four or five times and 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 you see that there is actually really interesting tension between uh, neural network and 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 participants because they first had some vision but let's say they are confronted by something different that's coming out from the neural network and uh, they actually are sometimes changing their initial vision mm. because of they see something that they were not mm. expecting and then it's inspiring them to something like to think a bit differently and realizing oh yeah this is maybe better but then still kind of forcing the neural network to change it and it's a very interesting process to uh, observe for me mm. and I think this way it could be used as a negotiating tool, basically. Like mm-hmm. if, if you if you want to have a group of people to uh, visualize something or imagine some concept, uh, you could you, this could be uh, used in like achieving some compromised vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds very interesting. It's a nice idea. I never thought about this as a negotiation tool. But I really like it. Mm. I wanted to do a little bit of a step back. Uh, mm-hmm. or Well, it actually fits really well. But um, in the very beginning, you said you were sort of thinking about the sort of visual truth and clarity of, of communication and so on. Um, I actually used to do uh, architectural renders for, it, for a while. Uh, it was sort <laughs> of my day job a few years back. Um, and... Maybe a very small excursion, I think, architectural renderers, they mainly develop sort of from in between photographs and collages. So mm-hmm. uh, they had sort of this, uh, these two aspects of sometimes being very realistic and sometimes being very open and mixing ideas and leaving it open to the interpretation of the viewer, basically, to uh, see something in that. And I saw a few weeks ago something I think you posted on Twitter something about visual ambiguity mm-hmm. uh, also in these in these images now created by for example text to image models and I think a good architectural render for me was always something that was clear enough to show for example the space and some qualities it might have but still be visually ambiguous because mm-hmm. um, yeah. they weren't about selling projects I mean I, I, I hope most of them weren't 
Um, <laughs> sometimes they obviously were used for that, but sometimes they were also used to be just a part of the development process of the creative process of the architects basically and helped us figure out how something should maybe be in the future uh, much more so than trying to sell this to th a third party um, and I think this is a very interesting thing that is now coming up again and since you since you already wrote about this I feel I thought maybe we could bring yeah. this into the discussion of the visual ambiguity because I think f for example with Dali and um, mm -hmm. or especially the second iteration now we are seeing that for example the metrics they are using to evaluate whether the model is any good are generally uh, whether uh, another human could distinguish this from yeah. a photograph for example so photorealism and uh, yeah, realism in general is sort of always a very big mm -hmm. indicator of the quality of one of the models. And I think for us creatives to be to use these as, for example, inspiration tools, negotiation tools, um, just steps in the creative process, very often we are just looking for, uh, yeah, inspiration or something that gives yeah. us a possible direction. And then we use that to change it into another direction again. So I don't know. Um, yeah, no, you obviously had lots of these thoughts as well since you tweeted them out, and you've you've probably spoken about this in all these workshops. How do you? How would you articulate this sort of balance between? Hmm. Yeah, I I, <laughs> I say often that photo photorealistic approaches like over overestimated, mm -hmm. <laughs> and and um, like aiming for hyper-realism or photorealism in, in this generated imagery, for me, it doesn't make sense because it's not so so interesting. Like you say, like uh, leaving some space for interpretation, for example, uh, I think it's uh, bringing um, the, the, the creative moment uh, for, for people there. And... Um, at, the, at this time, so I don't know if you should say out loud that it's uh, April 2022. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the outcomes of uh, these text image uh, models are like can be almost photorealistic, but even if, if we achieve the idea of photorealism, I like that there are moments that you don't see at first sight, but then you realize there is something off with. Uh, with the image and then later on you see that maybe the, the, the image is combining two different perspectives or mm -hmm. two, two different kinds of lightning light uh, so so like it would not be able to happen in real real mm -hmm. physical world and that's what I find really really exciting because it's like messing with our brains and it's creating some tension which we need I think at this moment like yeah, I'm connecting this especially with uh, the current crisis of imagination uh, many uh, people uh, scientists but also writers and artists say uh, we have in the world so it's like these things that we cannot imagine uh, more positive future uh, that we cannot imagine a world without capitalism and all these kinds of things so, so we're like stuck in 
the, the one linear way of where our society is going. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of research being done uh, in the area of design, let's say, uh, where um, on, on imagination and, and like working with uh, envisioning uh, preferable futures. And I think looking at this kind of ambiguous Im imagery can be really helpful because it's already like making it so <laughs> uneasy for the brain to, to, you know, interpret. So, yeah, but the thing is, we are looking at it from this point of view of, of creatives and, and artists. And um, I totally understand that, understand that the commercial uh, potential lies in the photorealism because then you can you can sell it to and you can incorporate it in a smartphone cameras and you know this mm -hmm. stuff um but also like i liked what you said about the architecture visualization um at the uh, visualizations that are kind of more artistic and leaving leaving out some unnecessary details are i think more more honest and more able to communicate the creative idea of the project uh, on the contrary to uh, hyper realistic visualizations that are like uh, trying to show you like this is the, this is how it's going to look but it's actually never mm -hmm. real it's never true and that that's what I was uh, looking into those few years back um, that usually these these visualizations are leaving out other uh, projects that are being built in the surrounding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you see, uh, actually, what do you see? It's like fabricated vision that looks real, but it's never going to to work be here. Yeah. yeah, it's just uh, trying to get you to some emotional state of imagining something, but it's not creative imagining. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, very close. <laughs> yeah, I wonder, so, like how these kind of images should be categorized. So they're not symbolic, they're not mm. um, like modeling images, like architectural plans or so, but they're also not mm. real images. And what I find interesting is the, I think this has to be researched more, the, 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 the parallel is to a, a specific kind of painting. And I don't mean this like mm -hmm. painting style generated images. I mean, these realistic images that, for example, I saw a picture of like a generated image of two people kissing or so, and th the mm -hmm. heads were like smushed and it didn't work out physically. Mm -hmm. Like the, the, there was no anatomic realness, but they this image captured the, the, the idea of a kiss or it had mm -hmm. kissness in it. And this yeah. reminded me of like painting styles for example in, in impressionism where you just make it like a, they just did a weird stroke and if you look at it in in detail it doesn't make any sense but from from mm. viewed from a distance our brain makes sense of it and it it looks realistic and i i find this back in these images that there there are glasses on the table and from far away they look like glasses but then you you look at them from detail and they're really deformed mm -hmm. but the model is able to express the notion of of a glass or this glassness and yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a totally different kind of image 
yeah, I, I, and I really hope that these ambiguous images will not uh, le- uh, will not be forgotten. <laughs> that they will find its own specific place in our uh, visual visual culture, mm-hmm. um, and not only in a, like a, I can imagine that definitely they will uh, stay in academia <laughs> or you know. Uh, among artists as a some brainstorming tool but i i really hope that they like we will find some uh practical use uh let's say in a like a in gen, for general public mm. but i still don't know <laughs> what it could be in in yeah but i think the like the research direction is to smash out those mistakes and mm-hmm. We don't want to have these deformed glasses. We don't want to have these deformed. We want yeah, that's, it that's has to be because somebody has to say it to the computer scientists because mm-hmm. they don't know. They don't realize that there is a, a any value in imperf- mm. imperfect outcomes of these mm. uh, models. But my theory is that it will stay um, mm. like this for a while because the the, yeah. the limit th- this kind of development is hitting is the limit mm. of actual um, common sense and understanding of the world because this model has no idea that you Mm. know a table has four legs it just learns from continuously images that have tables with four legs so if we work with these text to image models where we create like blends or create new scenarios then I think unless we have a way to capture the, like common sense and how the physical world works, there will be these glitches mm-hmm. and nobody like this is, I mean, the, the AGI promise that at some point we will arrive at a model that has this world yeah. common sense and general intelligence. And I think until we are not there, we will not have these perfect images. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That uh, could be. Well, at the same time, I don't even know, like, obviously, when you look at current models and sometimes, like, DALI 2, for example, it's not published, we can't use it ourselves currently, Mm. some people are invited to the beta, maybe we will be at some point, who knows. (laughs) Um, And there is obviously sort of a section of this model's latent space that is used for the demonstrations. Uh, where it really works and then also they have like a post or some overviews of um, things they themselves think are not really working yet or where they Mm -hmm. see problems often again with photorealism or anatomical um, basics and stuff like that Um, but at the same time I think there must be huge unexplored spaces within the model which mm. give much more ambiguity and maybe um, these are sort of also already happening and really interesting to explore um, in current models and other yeah. models. Like, for example, um, some of this can be accessed through prompt engineering. Like if you say, mm. I want an artistic interpretation of this and that, or I want a visually ambiguous scene of this and that. Maybe visually ambiguous is not a very good prompt, but... I think artistic interpretation or something like that gives you more blurry images and stuff and already things are starting to happen. So maybe there's even more 
possibility in there where it's actually put in there by the computer scientists without them even knowing or without them yeah. looking at it. It's just a different corner where nobody yeah, has gone. I think we probably will be always able to uh, do some uh, network bending. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> That's a nice and, term. Like get what we want from it. But that means that you need to have access to the code, right? <laughs> of course. And if it's like a, if it's a proprietary tool, uh, like that, like a DALI 2 now, and uh, I don't know, I didn't get uh, access to to it yet. So <laughs> I don't know in what way or how much you can um, play with it, whether it's only like putting your prompts there and that's it, or whether you can like um, do something more. But uh, I think this is the problem because um, they even like, I, I, I checked what they write on, on their uh, website about the model and they acknowledge the ethical issues and mm -hmm. like uh, they and want to prevent uh, misuse of this model. So they, they say they already uh, blocked some um, words uh, mm -hmm. or some that so people don't uh, generate, uh, you know, uh, porn images or stuff like that. And I completely understand that. But on the other hand, see what they are doing. They're already limiting the tool. <laughs> so mm -hmm. even if you, if you get access to it, you, you cannot uh, roam the Latin space freely. You, mm -hmm. There are some hidden corners or hidden parts. And uh, yeah, I, I have, I have uh, some my personal problem with this approach because although, yeah, of course, I agree that people should not generate child pornography that's just completely wrong but i don't know if this is the right way how to how to prevent it mm -hmm. i would be interested since you're using this tool to like visualize things and basically create new concepts maybe mm -hmm. visually yeah um where do you think there are the the limits with using these pre-trained models and are there dangers maybe as well well, definitely the limits are lying uh, are in the, the data sets. <laughs> um, so that's uh, well. I was thinking when you were talking about that the the models will will stay like this for a few years now. That we don't have to like be afraid that they will be perfect so fast. So I in, in immediately had to think that oh yeah, that would be so nice if we just realized it and spend now these few years. Uh, making a really good data set, mm -hmm. <laughs> like dedicating mm -hmm. the time and, and, and money. Because now, now we have this uh, trailer of what could be in the future, this, this teaser of, 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 of the future mm -hmm. creative uh, AI tools. But we, see, we, we already see, and a lot has been written about it, that, that there are uh, problems in the data sets, such as, you know, it, it was humans who were... Uh, uh, actually putting the captions, yeah. writing the captions uh, to the images and often with, so, so this way we, we are, we have projected uh, stereotypes and biases in, in, in these image data sets. So of course, uh, AI doesn't know any better how, how, how could it? And if we see that there are already problems now that uh, the generated images are have these projected biases, then let's 
let's like wait, put this somewhere aside and focus on the data sets, mm -hmm. like start building the data sets from scratch. But on the other hand, I'm really worried this will never happen because it's just so convenient to use what's already there. And this is happening also in different uh, areas of our lives. Mm. <laughs> we are like, I think it's part of human progress. It's like to not waste the time with doing things like really, really, really properly, but rather move fast uh, mm -hmm. to the next mm -hmm. uh, stage of the progress. So I don't know. I guess this, I mean, that um, OpenAI has, it has not published the code of Delhi 2, but they have um, a repository called Delhi 2 Preview. And there they have a thing called a system card where they describe the, basically the limits of the model and the, mm -hmm. the dangers. And you you can scroll through it and there are image examples, for example, what, what does it come up with when you're given the prompt a builder or what? does it come up with when the prompt is a flight attendant and yeah. of course the first is a, a guy the second is an asian woman and you know it, it seems like this is the old story not like the, the, the same thing mm -hmm. that happened with the language model with the nurse yeah. and the doctor and it's nothing new but mm -hmm. i wonder if these kind of problems can be overcome with the freedom we have with this prompt engineering by um, mm -hmm. by defining our own specific merge of different categories or mm -hmm. so do you think by inputting um, a prompt or a statement that is you know that can overcome certain stereotypes we can also overcome the stereotypes in the data set well if the neural network was still learning from <laughs> from those text prompts <laughs> Then maybe I, I mean that that's a nice idea, right? That we would be still uh, able that we would be teaching uh, the models by our interaction, but it's 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 not like that as far as I know at the moment. And but so then I think the other other option is just consciously fight the stereotypes by adding so many words in the prompt, uh, so you achieve your preferred vision. Mm -hmm. So if you want a female builder, mm -hmm. you probably need to add the word female. Yeah. And, and that's really sad. <laughs> On the other hand, maybe, you know, this is maybe already happening also in um, books nowadays. That it, it, I, I see that the language is consciously changing. Like people start using consciously different uh, terms, different words, so so they're not like uh, repeating uh, older concepts that were very uh, well. They're not nice to everyone, and so maybe if we are, we are, when we already started using this in our language and in books, maybe it will be natural to use it in uh, text prompts. And but yeah, then it it's uh, on every uh, every one of us, each of us. Mm. what we will use. <laughs> and I wonder, like, I think this is the big question of what means new, like what is innovation and what is a new concept? I think oh. for me, it's easy. Everything is a remix. Even the newest idea is a remix yeah. of existing concepts. And 
like this is how I see the power of these text-to-image tools that by using language you can create this blends of concepts and I think that also makes it possible to use it for like imagination of future realities or whatever but it's it's us who have to come up with with the like the innovative blend or the innovative idea of the future to visualize it it's not that you add yeah. to the prompt in the future and then the model will create this beautiful yeah. solution yeah. exactly <laughs> because what i noticed from uh, the workshops uh usually when <laughs> participants added the word future or futuristic it, it had really the same visual style of some uh, cyberpunk yeah. uh, dark city with yeah. neons uh, so you could like feel it there and it's so it starts to be so boring so <laughs> you need to kind of start thinking oh maybe I need different wording and then mm -hmm. how do I depict future without using the word future mm -hmm. And there's already such a huge shift in the your own brain. Mm -hmm. So, so I, yeah, I think, and this is really going to be very interesting if we let ourselves be exposed to to this remixing, like mm -hmm. you said. And uh, and that's also a reason why I'm not afraid of uh, that AI will now replace all the creatives and artists by this by, by like having the power to uh, generate art and visuals and because I think it's us who are putting these concepts together mm -hmm. like that we are doing this blending that you said like uh, you know it's it's never going to be interesting enough if it's not us who will put it in the context and give it the meaning and and transform it into something different. I think that might have been a really nice final sentence. Oh. <laughs> we're already getting up close to an hour, so um, mm. we're trying to stay below that. Um, is there something coming up with you? Do you have any more um, uh, workshops in the in the near future or something that um, listeners should check out i mean we are going to link your website and everything obviously in the show notes and mm -hmm. also most of the tools and uh, maybe some links that we talked about so mm -hmm. if you're listening uh, have a look down there and everything is going to be there but maybe final words from link yeah i'm planning a lot of workshops in the upcoming few months uh, but i don't know the dates and locations yet so mm -hmm. <laughs> i would uh but i will post about everything on my twitter and uh, instagram so i will be really i would be really glad if uh people who are interested in this kind of like negotiation process would contact me because i would like to uh, form an inter interdisciplinary uh workshop group mm -hmm. so it's not only artists talking and you know it's much more interesting and another thing i would like to maybe mention is uh Ouroboros festival uh, which i'm uh, curating with my other colleagues and uh last year we had one program section about uh, synthetic media and it was called uh, shaping future synthetic realities and we had uh except Uh, talks. We had also workshops where uh, everyone could join and participate in uh, in 
uh, discussing uh, the future with these tools. So we are uh, preparing another year of the festival, which will be in, uh, this time it will be physically in Prague, but uh, and some, I think in uh, September or October, but around that uh, I'm planning to make a one month long uh, workshop um, school or how to call it. Uh, and th this will, will be online. Uh, and so it will, be, it will be connected to synthetic media and I think it might be interesting to the listeners. Uh, so there will, there, will, there will be an open call uh, through which people can uh, sign up for the workshops to participate. Cool. Sounds Fantastic. really cool. We should go to Prague. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not too far from Leipzig. <laughs> it's not. It's, it's just not. around the corner. Yes. Please come. <laughs> Thank you so much, Lenka. That was amazing. Yeah, thank you for inviting me and uh, having this amazingly interesting and inspiring discussion. I think it's just the start. <laughs> I think this yeah. will stay with us for the next years. Fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you. This was Towards Co-Creation, a podcast by the X-Lab at Burg Giebichenstein University of Art and Design in Halle, Germany. If you enjoyed this, please spread the word and come back. We have many more ideas and topics we would like to talk about and some guests we have already confirmed. So see you soon. <laughs>